0: We're so glad that y'all have joined us online for worship today, and we're positive that God has something specifically to speak just to you. We want you to know that you are always welcome here at First Baptist Azel, and that you can connect with us by going online to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. Now let's hop back into the sermon and hear what God has for us today. All right, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Let me stop there. That says a lot right there. Of course, Jesus never went anywhere without the power of the Spirit, but I have to note that it mentions that. That means something when you go somewhere in the power of the Spirit. It means something. Uh, Luke put that in there for a reason. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and move in our souls today. Help us to understand the reception that Christ received on the countryside and in Nazareth. And that we make our own decision to you how we're going to receive our Savior this Christmas and this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, Are You Ready for Christmas? Are You Ready for Christmas? Well, here it is, whether you're ready or not. Christmas time again. We have the decorations up. Thank you, Darla. And uh, everything looks and feels and even smells, I smell Christmas. I don't know what that is, but it smells like Christmas to me. It's Christmas time. Are you ready for Christmas? Most years, it seems like it's here in a flash. Couldn't, couldn't get here fast enough this year, but uh, most years, it seems like it's January, and then suddenly it's December, and already you're celebrating Christmas. This year was a little different. Yeah, I thought I'd never get here. Uh, it has taken time. It's been a long year. Are you ready for Christmas? In a recent uh, in a survey, over sixty excuse me over sixty percent of churchgoers said they either never or rarely experience God during worship. Let me say that again. In this survey, over sixty percent of churchgoers, the majority of churchgoers, say that they never or they rarely ever experience God in worship. Now, it's doubly sad when you contrast this with a thought that, that thought uh, of this same question that was asked to non-churchgoers, people who don't even go to church. They were asked, if you went to church, would you expect to meet God? And the overwhelming majority said yes. Non-church people said, I don't go to church. I don't have encounters with God, but if I went to church, I would expect probably I would have an encounter with God in church, which is doubly sad because they know. <laughs> they know the likelihood. They're saying this. If I were to go to church, I think I would have an encounter with God, but I'm not going. That's really sad. And so we see this opposite, the strange things happening happening with people who attend church regularly, we go through the motions week after week after week, and we become spiritually calloused to the presence of God. We're not alone. That's been happening since the beginning, and we're going to see it today in this passage as well. I want to share with you today what happens when God shows up in our worship, when Christ comes to us this Christmas and this church in your life and what choices we have in light of His presence. So I want for us for a few moments to read about a group of people, actually an entire town, who missed out on Christ when He was right in front of them. And consider those who may tragically miss Him this Christmas as well. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus had been teaching and performing miracles In the Galilee area, word got out. It spread like wildfire. They didn't need Facebook or Twitter or anything else. Word got around. When you're healing people miraculously and raising the dead, people find out. That kind of news tends to travel very quickly. People were amazed and God was moving. But then, in the midst of all of this goodness, Jesus decides to go to Nazareth. And uh, why that's significant is because Jesus is from there. That's his hometown. He goes into the synagogue, as was his custom, everywhere he went. But he had been in that synagogue so many times, grew up there, went to church every Saturday there on the Sabbath. He knew every stone of that synagogue. He knew the scrolls that they had. He knew the the, the lamps that burned, he knew the, the ceiling, he'd seen it many times, and the floor, and the entrance, the exit, he'd seen all of that many times. He probably could have, could have named every person in that synagogue by name. It was a familiar place. It was his hometown. A place like Azel, or your hometown. It wasn't famous, it wasn't prosperous, it wasn't prestigious. I don't know of any great president who's come to visit Texas and as soon as they landed on Air Force One, they said to their constituents, you know, I want to go to Azel. Can we go to Azel? I really want to go to Azel. Or any famous Hollywood actors who come to Texas and they say, first thing I want to do is go up to Azel. I, I, I got some business in Azel. I want to see that town. That's some town. No, uh, to the opposite. If you we were to ask any president or probably any actor uh, where Azel was, they would say, where? What? What's a What's an Azel? In this town, in Nazareth, they identified Jesus but they did not identify him as the Messiah. They identified him as the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son. And so in this passage, he's gone there, he's read the scroll, and he says to them today, and by the way, I say it's rather remarkable, but it's not coincidental. It is providence that Jesus happens to be handed to him the scroll of Isaiah, opens it up, And here is this ancient prophecy about Jesus, uh, word for word about Jesus. And in that scroll, that prophecy about Jesus, it says what's going to happen and how the world will radically change because of the presence of Jesus. And he reads it and he says, today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And it seemed to be going great. It seemed to be going just like it did everywhere else he went. People were, were on the edge of their seat. They were listening to every word he said. They were tuned in. They were fascinated. Until there's this moment of recognition. I think that Jesus spoke with such authority and with such dignity and he begun been gone for a while that some of them didn't recognize him. You perhaps have had a similar encounter with your hometown. Maybe you were gone for years or decades, and you were just a little kid the last time you were there. You go back to your home church, and nobody even knows who you are. But then somebody speaks up in the middle of their amazement, and they said, hey, I got it. I know this guy. This is Joseph's son. This is, this is Jesus. We know this guy. And it was over at that point. By the way, spoiler alert, if you don't know the passage, they're about to try to kill him. Now, I've preached some sermons that didn't go well, (laughs) but I appreciate the fact that none of you, to my knowledge, have have plotted against my life. That's what they did with Jesus. And we're going to see that in a minute um, and what happens with that. But in the midst of that, he says this in verse 24. Luke chapter 4, verse 24, as we continue the story. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Wow, that's a hostile crowd. You talk about turning on a dime. They were so angry, they wanted to kill him. Now, you have to ask the question, what made them so mad? How could they go from amazement to murder in just a few sentences? What did Jesus say? Well, Jesus knew their hearts. They knew they'd already taken Jesus in his deity, in his divinity, and they had diluted it into, oh, this is the carpenter's son. And so their expectations of Jesus were no more than what they would expect from a carpenter's son. He knew their hearts. He knew their thoughts. He knew they were not going to receive him because they thought they knew who he was. By the way, did they know who he was? Didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue. But they thought they did. They'd already put him on a shelf. They'd already labeled him. And he would never be anything more than that in their eyes. Realizing this, Jesus gives them two illustrations. He begins by saying, you know, in his hometown, no prophet has any kind of honor. Which was apparently offensive to them. It's true, but offensive. He said, let me give you a couple of examples. Remember Elijah, the prophet? You know, he did amazing things. But he didn't do it in his hometown. He went somewhere else. Remember the guy who who followed him, Elisha. Elisha did incredible things. healed lepers, but not in his hometown. God sent him somewhere else. Because the hometown, eh, they weren't that impressed. And so they took offense to that because Jesus is confronting them with their own bias, their own prejudice against him. And it made them angry. Here's the sad part about this. Jesus came to their church. The Messiah was there. The promised one from Isaiah. The Son of God, God incarnate, was there right in front of them and they missed it because of their own preconceptions. I'm sad to tell you, some will miss Jesus this Christmas. Some outside the church. Some inside the church will struggle with doubt, struggle believing what God can do, but we don't have to. By the way, notice he was in church when this happened. It wasn't the townspeople, it was the churchgoers that was wanting to kill him. So the people of Nazareth missed the beautiful presence of Jesus. I'm going to give you three ways that they missed it. First of all, they believed that God moves in other times. That is, I think that the people in Nazareth, if you were to ask them, Does God do amazing things? They would tell you yes. And they would probably start to give you a history lesson, which is what preachers do quite often as well, and what we do, and there's nothing wrong with that. They believe God did great things in the past. They had no, uh, in the past, they had no difficulty accepting, even celebrating God's past miracles, saving the ark, parting the Red Sea collapsing the walls around Jericho, delivering David from Goliath, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the furnace or from the fire, saving Daniel from the lions and Jonah from the great fish. They had taught these stories since they were children. They had heard them all of their life. But that was the past when God moved. Not so much right now. They also believed in God's future promise of a Messiah. They all believed it. Every one of them. Oh, they, they hung out hope. The Romans were oppressing them. And this belief, this hope for a future Messiah that would deliver them grew and grew and grew. All of them talked about it frequently. They believed in God's future promise of a Messiah. One day, all the prophecies would come true. But not today. One day, there would be deliverance, hope, and joy, and salvation, but not today. In the past, yes. In the future, absolutely, but just not now. Are we any different? Why would God work in 2020? 2019, that's a good year. The economy was better. there was No virus. 2021, we're going to get this miracle vaccine. Everybody's going to be cured. What a good year it's going to be, right? Amen? Not one amen. (laughs) But why 2020? Why would God show up during this year, this crummy year? Why would God work in the middle of a pandemic? Where is he? Why would he bother in a bad year or during difficult times? Surely not now. Maybe when the virus is gone, people are employed, government is better, we at least hope, people are richer, healthier, happier, but not today. Secondly, they believe that God moves, but He moves in other places. He moves not only in other times, but also in other places, not here. And this may be the the biggest challenge that they have there in Nazareth. Had someone run into Nazareth and they said, yesterday in Jerusalem, the capital, the city of David, there was an announcement that the Messiah is here. He's in Jerusalem. We can go to Jerusalem and see him. Or maybe somebody came running into town and and they said, we heard a report all the way from Rome, the, the capital of the world practically the greatest city on earth where the emperors were, that a Messiah came there and is from there and he's been walking through the streets, healing people, raising the dead. Even the emperor himself kneeled to the Messiah. Oh, they get behind that. But show up in church in Nazareth. Anywhere but here. Why? Here possibly wherever we are, we have no problem what God will do. We have no problem with what God will do somewhere else in the world. So many times as your pastor, I've told you those great stories from the Old and New Testament about how God moved in other places. Azel isn't mentioned in the Bible. Or maybe I've told you all of those great stories about missionaries and great Christians, men and women with great faith throughout the centuries where God did miracles and and changed the course of entire nations in the past. Centuries long ago. I was sharing at a funeral this week about Billy Graham. I like to watch Billy Graham on YouTube. Now, uh, you can on YouTube watch Billy Graham because he had a long career. He had a long ministry. You can watch him as a very young man, skinny, young, young, young guy, old black and white uh, videos of him preaching. Or when he's middle-aged and he is wise and, and, and fiery. Or in his elderly years where he's even more wise. And, and, and as a preacher, that's, uh, we like to see Billy Graham. We like to watch that. And I think about that time in the the history of the United States in the mid-50s especially after World War II where our nation began to come to God and experience revival. We talk about those great days when stadiums were being packed and they would have to extend uh, revivals from a few days to a week and then multiple weeks and even a month or more that happened. God began to sweep through this nation and through this world. We talk about those great times of yesteryear, but now, and in other places, but here? Why would God come to Azel? So they had no problems in Nazareth believing what God can do um, somewhere else. The third problem that they had was not only that God would work in other times, but not that time, and in other places, but not that place, But they believed that God could do amazing things through other people, but not through them. Someone else. The report they heard of healing and teaching and the miracles of God's presence in others, but not so much through them. It's amazing how many Christians believe everything else and everyone else, but not here and not me. Not us. Every day I see disparaging posts online. Facebook, Twitter, social media. People saddened by this year, this economy, this pandemic, this or that tragedy. And it has not been a good year. There's no question. But We speak about the year as though it is a loss. I want you to know it is not lost. Hope is not dead. God is here, now, and wants to move in you. I think the biggest challenge was that they overlooked the familiar. I told you a while ago that they knew Jesus. Once they recognized him, it all turned. You know, the work of Jesus is limited by our unbelief. There was much that Jesus would like to have done in his hometown. He didn't go there to fail. He went there to help, but he couldn't help them because of their disbelief. And I believe in 2020, Azle, Texas, First Baptist Church, in your life and in your family, God wants to do amazing things here, now, today. Not last week, not next week, here, today. Not in Dallas, not in some other nation where God is moving and sweeping across the country. Here, here, today, don't miss him. So what was the result when they didn't receive Christ? I'll tell you what he did. If you look at Mark chapter 6, verse 6, it says, and he was amazed. Now that's normally a good thing to amaze Jesus Not so much here. It says he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. He just moved on. He left. And as far as we know, Jesus never came back to Nazareth again. Wow. The Son of God visited their town and their church. And they missed it. Now here's the thing. You, You have to catch this. I promise you, they had church again the very next Saturday. They all met in the synagogue just like they always had, going through the motions, singing the songs, praying the prayers, reading the verses, and they were completely unaffected by all of it. Listen, I'm glad you're here. I, I want you to be here. And God bless you, by the way. It's cold and rainy outside. There couldn't be anybody in here, including me, that didn't just want to curl up this morning under their covers and stay home. But God bless you, you're here. But there's no osmosis here. Nothing just rubs off on you because you're on the premises. Your hearts and my heart has to be receptive to what God wants to do. We have to be willing to believe him, to receive him in order for that to happen. He just left and never went back. This is a picture of all people and even churches can struggle today, going through the motions, but missing the Messiah. But notice what Jesus did. This is, this is back in our passage, Luke chapter 4, verse 31. It says this, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. He did the same thing that he had done in Nazareth. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. So he left Nazareth, who did not receive him, went right over to Capernaum, who did receive him, and God began to move in the life of that city. So many people we know were healed in Capernaum. The center, it became the center of his ministry. He spent more time in Capernaum than anywhere else, by the way. He didn't quit, by the way. Had a bad day. You know, when people want to kill you, that's a bad day. (laughs) He didn't go to the father and say, they tried to kill me in my hometown. I quit. I've had enough of this. I'm going to do something else. Well, I'm thankful he didn't do that. He just kept on going. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. Instead, he moved on and found those who were receptive. And he did great things there. God will always move among people who receive him. Whether common people like shepherds or mechanics Wise men or waiters, citizens of Nazareth, of Capernaum or of Azel. Christ will move in us if we receive him, believe him, and place our hope in him. Now the question is, how do we do that? How do we overcome our doubts? And honestly, we have doubts. But so much of what we post and so much of the content of our conversations There are doubts all in it because we had no doubts at all. We wouldn't say a lot of the same things that we say. We wouldn't have a lot of the attitudes that we have. How can we get God or how can God remove our doubts and grant us faith? How does that happen? Well, a little further around in, in the book of Mark, there's this wonderful event that tells us Jesus had gone up onto a mountain and there he had taken his inner group of disciples, the inner circle, up onto the mountain with him and there he was transfigured in front of him. They saw him in his glory. Remember Moses and Elijah, one on each side and, and Jesus is glowing and he, he's, he's received, he's recaptured his glory for a moment. He comes down from the mountain and no sooner does he get down from the mountain and there's a big crowd there looking for him and the Bible says that the crowd was arguing with the religious leaders of the day because the religious leaders already didn't like Jesus. They didn't care for him at all. And so having this big discussion, in the middle of this debate, this argument with the religious leaders, was this man who had a son that was demon possessed. Is it bad? It is bad, too. You know, the demon kept trying to kill the boy by throwing him in the water or the fire. And uh, which is extraordinary that a demon would do that, but that's what demons do. They're destructive. And this is that famous scene that I've shared with you before where the disciples got down there first or the rest of the disciples were already down there while Jesus in the inner circle were up on the mountain. And so they thought, well, we'll just take care of it. And you know what happened. That not one of them were able to, to remove the demon successfully. They all failed. And so Jesus comes down And uh, the boy is brought to Jesus by by his father. And here's this amazing passage. Mark chapter 9, verse 20, if you look there with me. It says this, He fell to the ground, this is the boy, and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It is often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, Take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. Now, that's a great story, isn't it? That's a great scene. But here's what happens. So he comes in and Jesus says, how long has he been like this? And the guy explains. And the guy says, if you can do anything for us, could you help us? And it's like if you go to the doctor, you know, you got bad disease or something terrible, and you say, doc, if you can help me. Now, when we say that to the doctor, it's because the doctor has limited abilities. And we know that there are a lot of things that doctors just can't do. And so we we always put that condition, if you can. Now, this guy has just encountered the disciples, and maybe when he encountered the first couple of disciples to try to heal the boy, maybe he didn't say if. Maybe he said, would you help me? And they all failed, and so he's got defeat on his mind. He's got it in his mind that because there are things that men can't do, then there might be some things that Jesus can't do, like a doctor or the other disciples. They, he lacked the faith needed, and Jesus immediately confronts him on it, wisely confronts him, and he says, if if you can. What do you mean, if I can? <laughs> what kind of question is that? What kind of request is that, if I can? And so the guy realizes it. And I commend the father for this. He doesn't say, all right, well, okay, uh, your disciples failed, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't say that. The religious leaders were down there. Maybe some of them had tried as well. They had failed if they had tried. And he could have used all of that as an excuse. Instead, he humbles himself before Jesus. Listen to this. He says, okay, okay. He says, I do believe. And then he makes this plea. He says, would you help me in my unbelief? Help me overcome my doubt. If you have doubts about the sovereignty of your Lord, if you have doubts that God wants to move in your life and do the miraculous in this town, in this church, in this time, I challenge you to go before your God and say, God, help me in my unbelief. Help me believe. And I believe God will honor your Request. So that's exactly what happened. Help me in my unbelief, Jesus immediately turns to the boy, immediately heals him. The demon comes out with a shriek, and it was the greatest day in the boy's life because he was finally free. He had had that demon in him for years. Well, you talk about a party. It doesn't talk about what happened later that day, but I assure you, it was a good day because God moved and the sick was healed. I believe that God wants to move here in Azle. Doubt always says, some other time, but not now. Some other place, but not here. And some other people, but not me. But on that dark night, humble shepherds found him. Wise men sought him. In a world that desperately needed him. And today we need him still. Are you ready for Christmas? Watch this brief clip. Oh, Father, we come to you today and we ask, help us to believe. Grant us the faith. May we not be like Nazareth. We celebrate the fact that you have worked through time and the centuries long ago where you did incredible things. We celebrate the fact that in the future, Revelation tells us how it's all going to end and the miracles that you're going to do that this world has never seen. But While we celebrate the past and the future, Father, help us to accept that you desire to do something powerful today. We see where you've moved Korea in a single generation, you have brought them by the millions to faith in Christ, transformed that nation. We see you move in places like that all over the earth. Father, help us to believe today that you desire to do something right here, right where we are in Azul, or our hometown, wherever we are, you desire to move here. Father, we have spent our lives seeing how you moved in the life of Elijah and Elisha and Moses and Noah and Jonah and Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego and Daniel and Paul and Peter and so many others. it's hard for us to conceive that you desire to do the same through us. Help us to believe. Right here, right now, with us. That you may have in your your sovereign plan chosen to change this world by changing this nation and your your choice to, your plan to change this nation begins here in Texas in Azel in this room in our hearts help us to believe help us to not miss Christ this Christmas as you're praying no one's looking around can I challenge you this morning Do you believe that God desires and is able to do miraculous things through you and through this church? Right now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Right now. I challenge you to come before your God and humble yourself just like that Father did. Help me believe that God is faithful. It could be you just want to come and kneel and pray to your God. He's waiting. In His Word, He says, Come near to me and I will come near to you. He's waiting for you to take that step. It may be God is calling you to make a public decision this morning to accept Christ, to become a candidate for baptism, or to move your membership here and serve Him in this place. You are welcome here at First Baptist Church. Just come down and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to become a candidate for baptism or say, Pastor, we want to join here. This is the place for us to serve. Or you just want to come and kneel and pray. If God is leading, here's your chance. Don't miss Christ this Christmas. He's here right now. Would you stand? No one's looking around as you continue to pray. And as you stand, you come. Well, thanks for joining us today online for our worship service. We hope that you are ministered and encouraged to while you're with us. And we just want to remind you that you can connect with us online by going to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. We hope to see you again next week.